Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to the Whedonverse Podcast. A retrospective, spoiler-free podcast where we discuss the movies, series, comics, and games created or inspired by Joss Whedon. With your hosts, Mr. Universe. Number five, do the dance of joy. And the clairvoyant. Well, you're right about this being a bad idea. Also brought to you by the Tangent Bound Network. This episode, we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 3, Witch, and Episode 4, Teacher's Pet. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 3, Witch. Written by Dana Reston. Directed by Stephen Craig. Original air date, March 17th, 1997. It's another great week on the Whedonverse podcast. I'm your host, The Clairvoyant. And we're here with me as well, Mr. Universe, every week, week after week. (laughs) Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh, And we're doing Witch today. Today, yeah, we're going to do... Uh, Witch, Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, directed by Stephen Craig and written by Dana Reston, came out March 17th, 1997 on the WB. Yeah, and this episode was actually going to be called The Witch, originally, in the original script, but they uh, changed it last second because they, spoiler, there's more than one witch. Yeah, and actually, a lot of TV guides and things like that still bill it as The Witch, and so it's sort of... Sometimes it says witch, sometimes it says the witch. It doesn't really matter. The episode itself is actually titled Witch, though. Yeah, and it's the first episode so far not written by Joss. But I feel actually they did a pretty good job, uh, just getting it out there before we start. They did a good job capturing the feel and the dialogue and everything. So it's the first non-Joss episode, but it shows that his writers can still kind of carry his torch. It's also the first episode without Angel. Yeah, it is also true. So... We start, of course, with our In Every Generation speech, and then we jump right into the episode, which is actually, this is a common thing among Joss shows. We jump in the middle of a conversation, the episode starts, we don't know what's going on, really. And so Giles is chastising Buffy for something. Very Uh, dramatically. Yeah, he's mentioning that she's joining a cult, enslaving herself, and it is quickly revealed that she just wants to try it for the cheerleading team. Which is a great uh, great way to start an episode, I think. Yeah, and she says she just wants to have a normal life, uh, which is <laughs> pretty amusing when you consider the fact that she lives in Sunnydale. And it's a, But it's a common theme, really, that Buffy just wants to be a normal teenager. She really wishes she wasn't the Slayer, she can't help it, and she just wishes she could just be a normal girl. Yeah, and then um, we see... 
I, I can't remember if this is immediately after, but according to my notes, it is, so we'll go to that. Uh, there is a creepy sort of... Dark lair. Yeah, like a cave-like... Not cave-like. It just full of pulses and... Uh, it, it, I mean, the episode's called Witch, and you get the, the, the feeling that this is the witch's sort of workshop here. Yeah, there's an evil brew. Uh, there's Barbies on hooks. Yeah, and this person's using Barbie dolls as sort of uh, voodoo dolls uh, in a clearly cheerleader-related ritual over a cauldron. And, uh, yeah, then we cut to cheerleading triads after that, after we see something happen to one of the Barbies on a hooks. Yeah, so we cut to tryouts. Uh, Xander's checking out girls, which feels... <laughs> feels it's, It feels right for Xander, really, he would be there, and he would be checking out girls. Uh, one thing I noticed about this scene is just how already how natural Buffy, Xander, and Willow have just kind of fallen into this friendship role. You know, there's no like kind of getting to know each other. It, it feels like they just they know each other now. They're they're tight knit group of friends. Yeah, what uh, I noticed actually was that uh, wow, this is high school, and these girls are intensely acrobatic. Yeah, <laughs> that as well. Uh, well, actually, uh, Charisma Carpenter was cheerleader for the San Diego Chargers in 1991. That's very true. So she had experience, but everyone else, this is high school, and everyone else was, you know, handsprings and flips and stuff. <laughs> yeah. they're. Uh, <laughs> you have to stay spry when you live on a hellmouth. Yeah, I guess so. That's how they train. And so Xander gives Buffy a, uh, a plot device. He, give, he gives Buffy... <laughs> A little—it's not really a friendship bracelet. It's a little more romantic than that. But he tries to play it off cool. Yeah, they—they they all came that way. They really all said, you know, forever or whatever they said on it. Truly yours or something to that effect. And so during trials, uh, this girl named Amber is doing her routine when the weirdest thing happens: <laughs> uh, her hands spontaneously combust. Yeah, it's, you know, not bad special effects for the era. It's clearly real fire. And it's it's so weird. Like, I <laughs> I don't... I was trying to picture myself in that situation, just watching a cheerleading tryout, and then her hands start on fire. And I would definitely be reacting a lot more severely than they are. They're confused and scared, but I would be absolutely incredulous that this girl's hands just started on fire... With no provocation in the middle of a cheerleading routine. I think um, a lot of things, you know, as to not reacting properly. One of my notes here is that Cordy's outfit does not adhere to any dress code I'm aware of. It's super skimpy. And, you know, speaking of not aware, <laughs> also, uh, I agree. It's, you know, I feel it's underacted. And I think that's part of living on the hell mode. You know, I feel yeah. like it was on purpose. Then Buffy runs over and smothers uh, Amber's hands, which proves really one thing, and that's that miniskirts are not the best when you're dealing with mystical forces. <laughs> yeah, that poor stunt girl. Uh, really clear panty shot. <laughs> yeah, we get a lot of, uh, yeah. I, I, did, I felt that was necessary to mention. <laughs> and then the theme song. Yeah, we go to our, our theme song. Shortly after, we're back in the library. The gang's talking about spontaneous human combustion and the thrill of living on the Hellmouth. 
We find uh, out Buffy's been a Slayer for just over a year at this scene. I also wrote in my notes here, sell it, Giles. And <laughs> I don't remember what that's exactly in reference to. But uh, I do remember that Giles is very excited about the the day-to-day monstrous challenges of living on the Hellmouth at this point. Yeah. Uh, while last episode, he seemed not so thrilled while they were kind of excited. So, interesting. Xander makes a human torch reference here. Yeah, like the human torch, but it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, this is also the first time we kind of get a name for Buffy's group. This name never stuck with fans, but... Uh, Willow says Buffy's the Slayer and we're the Slayerettes. And Joss tried to make that stick and fans just had <laughs> had none of it. It didn't ever catch on. Though there is a really great podcast out there called The Slayerettes that I advise checking out. But uh, yeah, the name really never stuck as a, you know, as a name of fans of the show or as the name of the gang in the show. Yeah, and I really like Xander's line... Here, I laugh in the face of danger, and then he says something to the effect, then I hide in the corner until it goes away. <laughs> but uh, when they're discussing spontaneous human combustion, they also, Giles mentions that the only common denominator in every case is rage. And I noted that that's not true in the real world at all. Everyone, the actual common denominator is that they're usually calm and peaceful. So and I noticed that. There is other common denominators as well. Uh, alcoholism is one of them. Yeah. And so... Giles didn't do all his research here. <laughs> or Sunnydale's a little bit different. Or maybe just Dana Reston didn't do all their research. But, uh, yeah, it's... That scene, I feel, it's expository, it's necessary. There's, you know, you'll get used to the library scenes. You yeah. Know, where they... Giles explains everything in a library, or at least they posit theories back and forth. You know, that's a common thing. The library feels like home. Speaking of home, then we're back at Buffy's place. Uh, there are boxes everywhere as Joyce is preparing for her new show at the art gallery and ceases to pay attention to Buffy, or rather just... Never starts. <laughs> exactly. Um, she's caught up in her own thing. She's not even sure what Buffy is trying yeah. out for. Yeah. But she she's excited that she's trying out for something because that means she's not in trouble. And we also... Uh, there's a... There's a penis joke here. (laughs) There's a fertility statue that Joyce does not want Buffy taking a gander at. One thing I noted is that a Joyce, and just a Slayer Strength shout-out, Joyce can't open the crate with a crowbar. She's trying all scene. And when she turns her back, Buffy just lifts it with one hand and just tosses it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then we're back at practice. Uh, and the first thing that stunned me is these people are not on the squad yet, but the, damn, are they choreographed. They already know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you do tryouts. You have to make sure everybody senses what each other's going to do. That's how you know who makes the team. <laughs> yeah. They were just, it, I mean, maybe they cut out for both sake of time and lack of interest. You know, the scenes where they go over the choreography with them, but they just appear to already know what they're doing. And then Amy, uh, the girl we met earlier, Amy, a friend of Willow's, uh, stumbles and takes out Cordelia, who blames it on Amy. 
<laughs> I mean, it's Amy's fault, but she makes sure that everyone knows that it's Amy's fault. Yeah, she's very quick to point out and reiterate and make sure everybody's aware. <laughs> it wasn't me, though. You know, you saw that, right? It was Amy. It wasn't. It wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, and then we go to Buffy and Amy in the hall. Uh, they're looking at Amy's mom's cheerleader photo. Apparently, Amy's mom back in the day was head cheerleader and prom queen and the goddess of high school. And she just has nothing but nice things to say about her mom. Obsessed with her mom yeah, that's, almost. That's a, a good way to put it. And we get a little bit of Amy Buffy backstory here. We hear about their parents splitting up, uh, both of them. And, I mean, for Amy's backstory, this isn't that important because she feels, I mean, as far as we're concerned, at this point, she's a throwaway character. But finding out about you know, Buffy's home life is a little interesting. You find out uh, that... Uh... A little when you find out about Amy's family, you find out that you know they were the homecoming couple, and then they're trailer trash. Yeah, you know they they became nothing, and her dad left, and she seems really like overly dramatic and upset with herself in the scene. You kind of get the sense that Amy's got some issues. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then Willow shows up after Amy leaves, um, and she says, "Oh yeah, we used to we used to be friends." Her mom is a Nazi, <laughs> and she actually heils. Yeah, uh, that joke was actually in German. They changed it. Uh, she says her mom's kind of a superwoman <laughs> because they didn't want any Nazi references in the German version. That's fair. Yeah, I did read that as well. Uh, but yeah, Willow starts giving exposition on Amber. You know, research she dug up. Amber got detention once for smoking, regular smoking, with a cigarette. <laughs> Yeah, which I think is great. And um, then we go to our... After their little conversation is done, we're in the locker room. we got some great horror movie cinematography here. Yeah. Uh, something is sneaking up on Amy. It's, you know, coming in. It's quiet. It's tense. Boom! Orchestra hit. Wild Cordy in purple le leopard print wife beater appears. <laughs> yeah, and it's too dramatic. Too I, dramatic. <laughs> I don't know what she's wearing. And she threatens Amy. She says, hey, I don't, I don't remember the specifics, but she threatens Amy. That's all I wrote down in my notes. I and wrote she, that she uh, slams the locker as she leaves, and it pops right back open. Yeah, that does happen. She basically says, like, hey, you're not going to cost me my, my spot on the squad. Essentially. A sweet little threat. Yeah. Then we, it's, it's revealed in a conversation with Xander and Willow, rather, that Xander has a crush on Buffy, something we kind of already knew. It's just uh, reinforced and made, I guess, concrete by saying it out loud. Yeah, and so he's talking with Willow, uh, who is so very bro-zoned. <laughs> <laughs> and he says like something to the fact that you're one of the guys, even though they think of Xander as one of the girls, and it's... <laughs> Yeah, and he's just he's, he's speculating ways to to win over Buffy. And then they find that the cheerleader list is posted. Actually, last year's cheerleader list, because it is now 1997, but this list claims it's 1996, because it, the episode was filmed earlier. Yeah, that, I never noticed that, but I guess that's true. And so Xander dives into the sea of women... 
and finds out that not only did Buffy and Amy make the squad, that Buffy is first alternate and Amy is third. Which, which is not good. An alternate means that they didn't make the squad, that they're basically understudies. They understudies. And so Xander proclaims himself the king of the Cretans, <laughs> and Amy <laughs> leaves. Storms off. She's pretty hard on herself, and so she leaves. Yeah. Then we are back at the creepy, uh, the witch is lair. Uh, and there is another doll, another Barbie, and she wraps a towel around its eyes and drops it in the potion, proclaiming it to be Cordelia in yeah. a raspy voice that you can't really <laughs> make out. Um, yeah, I noticed that, you know, one thing I made a special note is they disguise the voice. So it, it, you feel at this point already that it's somebody that you know. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of people watching this episode for the first time have had... They have their guesses. And their guesses are probably right. But then we're back at Buffy's... Uh, Buffy's place. She makes a single waffle. <laughs> Who makes a single waffle? Like, they come in packs of two. Why would you take one out, pop it in? What is wrong with you, Sarah? Like, I think that's not a Buffy thing. That wasn't in the script. That was Sarah making a single waffle. And I'm upset. That may have been a choice by uh, Stephen Craig, the director. I'm mad. I'm going to keep my eye on it and see if later in the series, if she ever has to make waffles, how many she makes. I don't think it'll come up, to be honest. We'll see. So uh, Buffy's mom digs out her old yearbook, and Buffy <laughs> says, I've accepted you've had sex. I'm not ready to accept that you had Farrah hair. Her mom replies, it's Gidget hair. Don't they teach you anything in history class? That's a great line. And I wrote the word yearbook twice here. Just yearbook, yearbook. Don't know why. Uh, Joyce wants her to join the yearbook team. She says it's a great fun and that it'll keep Buffy out of trouble. And when Buffy starts saying that's not really my thing, Joyce starts getting mad that it's not her thing. And Buffy has the, you know, I'm not you, which really it sets up the theme of the episode. <laughs> uh, sort of... Living vicariously through children. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Uh, parental control and sort of, yeah, living vicariously through their own kids. And so then at school, Xander and Willow are again talking about Xander asking Buffy out. And Allison Hannigan can make chewing on a pen adorable. Like, how? Yeah, that was... <laughs> uh, she compares Xander to a chewed-up old pen as she chews up an old pen. And, yeah, I agree that uh, Allison Hannigan... In the late 90s was one of the world's most adorable commodities. <laughs> uh, and so then Cordelia um, is acting pretty weird. Yeah. Getting ready for her driver's test. Right as Xander gets up the courage to ask Buffy out. Buffy notices Cordy acting weird and... Trying to open someone else's locker. <laughs> yeah, can we have this conversation later kind of deal? Yeah. And so then Cordelia has to do her driver's test uh, with her driver's ed teacher, Dumpy Deadpan Ed Helms. And... <laughs> Name Mr. Paul, of all the names of a driver's teacher. <laughs> and so she gets in the car. There are other kids in the car. This will become evident. This is my notes here, okay, in this scene. Who the hell is that? Who the hell is that? 
Cordelia, there's someone in the back seat. <laughs> Who the hell is in the back seat? It they scared do. me. <laughs> the Mr. Pole does mention it's your turn to drive, which, considering he's the driver's ed teacher, does suggest that there are other students. But I don't know why they have to be in the back of the car, why they need to be present at all. I don't know. My driver's ed happened differently, personally. Yeah. So... Uh, Cordelia starts just driving poorly for no particular reason, apparently. Because she's got blurry vision. Everything's fuzzy. She's just driving all over the place, crashing through things, stumbles out of the car into oncoming traffic, which does not stop for her. No, he honks, but, you know, that's her problem. (laughs) You don't move, I'm gonna mow you down. He just... <laughs> before Buffy football tackles her out of the way, and she starts proclaiming, "I can't see, I can't see," and we cut to Cordelia with really bad contacts, milk white, make her look blind like Storm from the X Men. Yeah, and they're they're not such bad contacts. They're just the fact that you can see that they're contacts. You know, you can see where the contact. You know, it's if you look at her eyes, you can tell. Yeah. And then we're in the library. Uh, According to Giles, blinding enemies is a favorite trick among witches. Um, Great line here. Why would anyone want to hurt Cordelia and Willow just quietly to herself? Maybe because they met her? (laughs) I had because they met her written in my notes here, and I was trying to think of why I wrote that. Um, The gang starts leaning towards Amy. And... I have here also parental pressure because I don't understand my own notes ever. Yeah, they um, they think that she's got a crazy mom. She feels pressured to do well. So she's, you know, turning to nefarious means to get onto the squad. Giles actually has a great line here, which did not make the episode. It ended up on the cutting room floor, but it was a great line. When they're trying to see how to test if Amy's the witch... Giles says, yes, the ducking school. Sorry, the ducking stool. We throw her in the pond. If she floats, she's a witch. If she drowns, she's innocent. And they just all kind of stare at him, and he says, some of my texts are a bit outdated. Yeah, and so they decide to check out who's taking out books on witchcraft to confirm it's Amy. Xander gets really uh, tense. (laughs) And we find out that it was uh, Xander. (laughs) Xander took out all the books on witchcraft. And immediately proclaims, it's not what you think. And they say, you wanted to look at the semi-nude engravings. And he said, I guess it's exactly what you think. And we find out his name's Alexander, his full name in that scene. Yeah, which, I mean, you should have assumed. <laughs> yeah, I think we find out his last name also, because the widow calls him Alexander Harris. And I don't know if we knew his last name before this point. I'm not sure. But, yeah, that is when we find out his full name. Sans' middle name, which is coming up shortly. Yeah, next episode. So then, Amy, uh, who, by the way, I just want to point out that Elizabeth Ann Allen is, despite being what was probably intended to be a one-off character, is a fantastic actor. She, I mean, like, most of the, these Monster of the Week type characters, you know, throwaways, are just passable but she's actually she does a really good job 
she actually had originally auditioned for Buffy, and they gave her this role almost as a consolation prize. But, it's, you know, you can tell that she's not just a throwaway extra, like that she does, does have the acting chops and could have played Buffy and was probably one of their, you know, understudies. Yeah, one thing that I think is cool is a lot of, uh, a lot of the better actors that pop up throughout the series, uh, and a few not-so-great actors, <laughs> I'm looking at you, Anne, uh, are people that auditioned for Buffy, and yeah. they liked them and decided, you know, we're going to put you in the series. You know, you're not going to get the role you want, but you were great. We need a character later on. We'll revisit the headshots because we need a role. Yeah, and they... So they deduce a spell for finding the witch, which uh, they have all the ingredients in the chem lab, and it will turn the witch's skin blue if they are indeed the witch. And I wonder what happens if they're not. Nothing, maybe? Yeah, and it's also very strange that they're able to figure that out. That makes... They're mixing magic and science, and they're throwing them at a wall and hoping something sticks. <laughs> it did. <laughs> and so they're in um, a class... <laughs> I'm not sure. It's science. That cannot be debated. But I don't know if they're in chemistry class or biology class because they literally go from dissecting frogs to pouring a chemical into a beaker with another chemical. Yeah. Uh, and Xander can't dissect the frog, so Willow does it because girl power. Yeah. <laughs> Drops the eye of Newt, which is not a Newt, into the potion. They steal some of Amy's hair, put that in as well. And then some assorted chemicals. Uh, Buffy steals Amy's hair from her hairbrush, which Amy clearly notices. <laughs> and, like, that's a huge gross clump of hair she steals. And she's lucky that Amy carries a brush in her purse. Because what was she going to do if she didn't? Rip it out of her head. Yeah, like, she's just lucky. And one thing I noticed also, science teacher in this episode is Dr. Gregory. You don't find out his name yet, but he's a pretty central part of next episode. So, spoiler coming up. And then uh, they they mix the weird little potion. Buffy spills it on Amy, whose skin turns blue. Or rather, the potion turns blue as it touches her skin, which is not what they said would happen. <laughs> and she's just really calm about it. She looks at it and looks at Buffy. She's not like, I'm dying. She's just kind of like, oh. Yeah, you spilled the chemical on me in chemistry class. You should cut that out. <laughs> Doesn't say a word, which is the weirdest part. She's just dead silent. She kind of looks like a Lily Rabe, I noticed, too, in that scene. And then uh, they're cut short. They don't have time to react because a cheerleader has bad um, silicon prosthetics over her mouth. <laughs> yeah, a cheerleader who's still in cheerleader outfit, just in case. I think she is. Just in case you didn't you know, know for sure. Starts freaking out because she's got no mouth. And yeah. uh, everyone's confused because Amy is freaked out too. Just as freaked out as everybody else. So they deduce she might not be the witch, or if she is the witch, that she doesn't know she's the witch. Yeah, Buffy calls her, her their Sabrina, which is a teenage witch reference. And so then um, Amy goes home. We get a little Amy scene. Goes home and orders her mother to do her homework and just instantly changes personality <laughs> and becomes very mean. Uh, this is great acting from both Elizabeth Ann Allen and uh, I believe her name's Robin Riker. Yeah. And they're, yeah, she's walking all over her mom. 
and complaining that Buffy stole her hair, which does cement the fact that we do know that Buffy did take a bit of her hair, and that, well, <laughs> rather that she knows that Buffy took it. And then she says she's going to go upstairs with the bracelet that Xander gave Buffy, the little plot device we got. Yeah, because Amy is a master pickpocket. Yeah, uh, because that's something that witches can do. Spoilers, by the way, she's a witch, if you didn't figure that out by this point. <laughs> um, one thing I noticed, uh, first off, that back there, that spell, that was Willow's very first spell. It's a touching moment, because spells become, you know, she does more than one. It's her first one, and one of the first one that any main character does. So it's a touchy moment. <laughs> um, the other one is, I really think that Amy, or rather Elizabeth Ann Allen and Robin Riker look alike. Like, they definitely look like she could be her mom. And I think that's just really good casting, or just a good luck with the casting. But I think, you know, I fully believed that she could be her mom. Speaking of uh, spells by main characters, there is a spell that I believe Giles does in this episode. Spoiler. Yeah. But yes, there is. And he claims that it's his first spell, but that is retroactively proven false later on. Yeah, I don't know if he's lying or if it's just a continuity error. (laughs) Either would make sense. So then next morning, uh, Buffy is... (laughs) Drunk? unstable i don't i to be honest i don't know what sarah was trying to do in this scene i don't know what she was going for i don't know what they told her like act drunk act wacky act weird because it's just there's nothing there's no way to define how she's acting it's just very strange uh she's singing macho man by the village people repeatedly drinking lots of juice admits to her mom that she is the vampire slayer And just shrugs it off. And then she dances out of the room, being just super happy. And it's it's a bizarre scene. (laughs) And I can't even imagine how she can be that happy because her pillow, at the start of the scene when she was sleeping, looked just awful. It looked so uncomfortable that, you know, how can she be having such a good day? It just doesn't register. She didn't sleep well. (laughs) Right? So then... Buffy's having a hell of a time at cheerleading practice. She's jamming so hard. She's having the time of her life, and then her buds are here, and she loves her buds. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I noticed her shoes don't match, and maybe that's to show that she's also to also show that she's different or that she's lo- loopy. Uh, but uh, everyone's got like matching cheerleader shoes, except for she's got like Converse or something like that that just don't belong. So she uh, blows any chance she had of making the squad when she throws Joy, uh, the, the head cheerleader, across the room <laughs> with her super strength. That's how you do it. <laughs> and so then uh, she... Gets fired. She, yeah, she she cedes her place to Amy. Uh, she says, you can't let Amy in the squad because she's... Xander covers her mouth, says, a wise choice indeed. <laughs> Take her out into the hall, and she proclaims that Amy is a witchy. <laughs> which still to this day is a running joke between people I know that you know, just she's a witty and I don't know why it comes out sometimes there's no context ever it's just it's such a ridiculous line and it's so memorably weird that it just comes out still and uh, she just says I, I just 
the dialogue of this part. I don't know what the, she she claims Xander is her Xander shaped friend. <laughs> she totally shuts him down by just pretty much saying he's one of the girls. She could never imagine dating someone like him because he's yeah, just like totally shuts him <laughs> down, friend zones him so hard and probably ruins any, you know, thoughts he have that he might get the girl. Just yeah. like what he did to Willow earlier in the episode, kind of justice. And so then in the library, uh, Giles is instructing them, or rather informing them, that she seems to have more, it's more than just a, a weird day, that it was a bloodstone vengeance spell that destroyed her immune system, and she only has about three hours to live, and Buffy is no longer all fun and happy. She is. She must have got it out of her system. <laughs> Yeah, she's sweating she's, and dying. She's suddenly, like, on her deathbed. Yeah, I feel like there's a cut scene there. Like, there was more that they had wrote that they cut out of the script before they filmed. Like, there was a middle stage, but... And so, um, the only way to cure her is to either decapitate Amy or to get the witch's spell book and reverse the spell. And so they choose that one. And so then Giles and Buffy decide to confront Catherine, uh, Amy's mother. And so Jeff- his, his car, he drives to drives Buffy there, and his car is just so Giles. It's just so cute. It's a his beat-up little, old British car. I don't even remember. I, I wrote down, not in my notes here, but I did write down the name of the car. I think it's the next episode, <laughs> the type of car it is. It's so Giles, though. Uh, he was very forceful in this scene. <laughs> and he's, uh, yeah, he's trying to get to the bottom of this. Barges in like a thug. Yeah, that too. <laughs> you find out that Amy and Catherine have actually switched bodies uh, months before. Catherine had said that Amy was wasting her youth, so she took it for herself. Uh, which is, once again, for Robin Reich, a great acting. Uh, it's also a great twist. Yeah. Uh, I found. But it also opens up a plot hole. Uh, because, hmm, where do we even begin? We know that Amy switched bodies with her mom. Because Buffy recognizes this is Amy in her mom's body. And she kind of tells the sad backstory of what it's like to be your mom and wake up as your mom. But earlier in the episode, they the reason they start to get on to Amy, or like, they spill the chemical on her realize that wow she's not a witch or she is a witch but she doesn't know she's a witch but it's not like they switch bodies back and forth every day they've been like this for a month so So it's Catherine in there Catherine knows she's a witch so why was she pretending to be confused like it just it opens up a plot hole because the whole reason that they decide to like go on this expedition is because of this red herring that ends up just working out in the end anyway yeah, and then we get a useless jump scare with a cat when Giles tries to open a chest. It made me jump, and I was so mad, because why did they do that? It's stupid. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Amy's room is the room with all the Barbies and cauldrons and all the creepy stuff, which makes me wonder if it was like this before. <laughs> Maybe that's not Amy's room. Maybe it was like an attic or something, but she said it was her room. She said she was going up to her room. But maybe it's Catherine's room. Maybe. But then Catherine said she woke up in her mother's bed. That's true. I don't know. 
So what was Amy's room like before? Did she renovate it in this month into like a witch's lair or perhaps? That's what we'll say. At any rate, Giles finds uh, the witch's textbook, the spell book, and it takes the real Amy and Buffy back to school to break these spells. So, uh, Amy and Amy Catherine, Kath, Kath, I don't, I got nothing. Kami. The Amy's body (laughs) is cheering, uh, at the, a basketball game when she starts getting flashes. I wrote hot flashes here. I wrote numb flashbacks. I, I think I was half asleep (laughs) when I wrote my notes. At this point, so I wrote hot flashes. Maybe I thought it was a joke. <laughs> but uh, either way, she messes up the pyramid. <laughs> yeah, she starts getting flashes of what Giles is trying to do somehow. And, yeah, messes up the pyramid. And so then Giles takes Buffy, I believe, to the science lab. Buffy and Raimi, real Amy. Yeah, well, that's before the counterspell. Yeah, puts Buffy on the science lab table. She's getting sick. He starts counterspelling. F- fake Amy is getting all wigged. And then she uh, death glares at everybody before Napoleon dynamiting it out of the room. <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. So Giles is trying to break the spells. Uh, and she's pissed. <laughs> she's <laughs> She's not happy. Very good at acting deathly menacing. Like, going from the sweet but troubled Amy to, like, the deathly menacing Amy. She does a pretty... Like, Elizabeth Ann Allen does a pretty good job with that contrast. Yeah, and, um... So Xander and Willow... Fairly useless. Unable to stop <laughs> Amy from storming towards the science lab with an axe. Yeah, she chokes Xander with the force. And then she slaps Willow so good. Like... <laughs> just... Wow. Wow. That's all my notes there. I can't remember the physical slap. I just remember it was such a good slap. <laughs> so, she's throwing towards the science lab. Um, so, they're buying time while Amy, or rather Willow and Xander are attempting to. And I guess they do. Uh, they, they get themselves beat up to buy time. <laughs> So Amy and Catherine are restored to their own bodies, which did not make Catherine very happy. No. Um, and right when this happens, Buffy wakes up. Yeah, and feels instantly well enough to jump back into the fray. But uh, Amy's mom is crazy. She's also very good at acting menacing. Full square contacts. The which whole is, deal. you know, not a one-off thing. It's something that does come back later that when people are consumed by magic, they go full sclera. Yeah, their eyes go fully black. So that's cool. But uh, yeah, then Giles gets knocked out for his very first time. It's a sweet, touching occasion. I think he got knocked out in episode one or two. He was knocked down. This time he's knocked out. Oh, yeah. Well, he yeah he should be dead from the amount of concussions he receives throughout the series. <laughs> There's a fight scene with magic, and it's the first time we see CG magic on the screen also, which is also monumental. You know, in the first season, a lot of it 
it's not like great season, but a lot of it's just monumental because it's like thinking forward. This is such a big thing later. Right now, this is the first instance of it. So it adds some like value to the first season, which is not fair, I guess. But it just it's just how it works in my mind. Yeah, and so then she's her power is uh, is maximum. She <laughs> she's Broly, and she fires a magic beam at Buffy, who kicks a mirror down. Now, was that a fight-or-flight response? Because Buffy has no idea what's going to happen. She doesn't know that magic reflects off mirrors. She doesn't know... She, For all she knows, it could go right through the mirror and just get her. So I feel like that was almost a fight-or-flight, like, I hope this works. <laughs> yeah. and it's, But it does work. It reflects the spell back at uh, Catherine. And who's the real hero here? <laughs> She, she beat herself. <laughs> she vanishes, uh, screaming. Which is in the title credits. Every season, that scream. Or not every season, the first couple seasons. Season one and a half. The first season and a half. I lied. But that is, like, the scream from the title credits. That's the scream. Pretty good screaming from Robin Riker. And so then we establish that Buffy's mom is not Amy's mom. <laughs> Buffy's mom kind of apologizes and says, yeah, I know that you're not me, kids these days, and that she would not become a kid if she had the chance just to understand Buffy. (laughs) One thing I want to go back to just quickly before that scene is right after Amy's mom's deleted, defeated. (laughs) And deleted. Also accurate, I guess. But um, Xander runs in the room with an axe. Let's cut her head off. And he grabs Amy. No, he grabs Amy and says to cut her head off. And then Willow runs in with an axe. Or with a bat, rather. And trying to beat the hell out of Amy. Because <laughs> they don't know what has all taken place. And then Xander tells her, well, I took care of it. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. I didn't write that down. That's one of my favorite parts of the episode. And then uh, Amy and Buffy talking in the halls at school the next day. They're, they're talking about how Amy has moved in with her dad now, who feels bad about leaving her and her mom, and so he's being overprotective and super, super nice and not letting her go out and trying to spend all his time with her, and she absolutely loves it. Now, this is the first time we see Amy not wearing cheerleading clothes, and this just in, Amy's a hippie. She's got, like, a Pieces love shirt and, yeah. like, big baggy, like, sweater over top and, like, ballooning pyramid such hippie clothes so (laughs) they pass by uh, the trophy collection where the cheerleading trophy of Catherine the Great is uh, her mom of course and they just kind of wonder I wonder where what happened to your mom yeah and they walk away (laughs) and the and then it ends. It just ends right there. The episode's done. <laughs> it was a good episode. We'll, we can review it based on that. <laughs> no. Uh, the camera pulls close to the face of the statue. <laughs> and there are bad CGI eyes darting C- back and forth. CGI eyes. <laughs> exactly. And muffled screams coming from the statue. Which isn't stupid in itself, but it was terribly done i'm just so sad thinking but i want to cry it was 
a bad cap to a pretty decent episode. <laughs> like, and those eyes, they were, they were bad. They looked like cartoon. But, oh, no, no, I just can't even talk about it anymore. I'm moving on. I want to discuss magic, Clairvoyant, in the Wingverse and how this is, like, kind of the first episode to steer away from vampires. No vampires at all in this episode. And focus on magic and other mystical forces. Like, that's such a big thing. Yeah, this is that's huge. That is absolutely huge. That was the... I remember, I, remember uh, I spoke about it in the past, how I was skeptical about the first season and didn't want to watch it. And for most of the first season, I was being a sourpuss. But still, even then, I remember watching this episode and just being impressed with the fact that they just opened up a whole world. Like, they mentioned in the first episode, oh yeah, don't worry, it's not just vampires. But this was the episode that really kicks it open. They can now, now that magic is in this world, they can literally do anything they want and explain it away with magic. And they do. <laughs> yeah, and it's also, like, I think the episode... It's also good. What season one's metaphors? The first couple seasons are filled with metaphors. You know, every episode's a metaphor for something else, and this one was obviously a metaphor for overbearing parents. And you know, it was not taken lightly. You know, Buffy's mom and Amy's mom, but it was you know, a lot of early Buffy and a little bit of later Buffy, but mostly for the first few seasons is very much yeah metaphors for high school life, which was kind of the series. You know, high school life is a hell, you know, even though we don't actually deal with these mystical problems, we are dealing with these problems in some form in high school. And so, yeah, that was, that definitely came through in this episode. It's not, like, secret. It's not that they're not, that they're trying to hide it. It's pretty obvious. But it's dealing with things in a different way that maybe kids can relate to while being entertained and not just watching, like, Degrassi, to throw a name out there, and seeing it, you know, exactly as it would have happened in their life they're seeing it in a different way that you know they can yeah it's a sci-fi that kids can relate to which is not the most common really i mean sci-fi you don't have to relate to tv to be able to enjoy it but you know for the most part it's a genre that's not really relatable now death count for this episode was a surprising zero zero it must have been a slow week in sunnydale because this is the first episode with no deaths. And if you remember, the second episode had quite a few human and vampire deaths. This one has none whatsoever. And shows that they don't need deaths to keep people interested. But uh, Catherine Warren did have a fate worse than death. <laughs> or a CGI worse than death. That, <laughs> that as well. But yeah, clairvoyant. Rating for this episode. What would you give it? Out of five stakes... Episode 3, which, what's your rating? I'd say that I really liked the way it dealt with issues. Um, and yeah, they didn't need to kill anyone to make it interesting, which is something that Joss really needs to take to heart. <laughs> and it, as far as this season goes, so far, this has been probably the best episode of the season. And just how monumental it is in kicking open the whole universe of, you know, the the whole, whole Buffyverse, if you will. Um I think that this easily deserves a three out of five stakes. No, I originally put a three, but then I uh, thought about the ending a little bit more, 
And I actually had to <laughs> bump it back to a 2.5 because of the ending. And I understand that puts it below episodes one and two in my hierarchy. And I don't quite agree with that. I think retroactively, I, sh- I shouldn't have given episodes one and two a three, but they're recorded. It's too late. So this one, two and a five, 2.5 out of five, which averages out at 2.75 stakes, uh, would have been a solid three, but you blew it with the ending, Dana. Yeah, I don't blame Dana because he or she is just the writer, and the the <laughs> on paper that's a perfectly fine ending. Weedenverse podcast rating two point seventy five out of five stakes. Like what you hear, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at, at @weedencast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com/weedenversepodcast or review, rate and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. The Weedenverse podcast is brought to you by the HHW LOD network. You can find them at hhwlod.com, on Twitter at hhwlod_network or on Facebook at facebook.com slash hhwlod. The Tangent Bound Network can be found at tangentboundnetwork.com, on Twitter at tangentboundpc, and on Facebook at tangentboundnetwork. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 4, Teacher's Pet. Written by David Greenwald. Directed by Bruce Seth Green. Original air date, March 24th, 1997. And now we're on to Teacher's Pet, episode four. Dave Greenwald wrote this one. Bruce Seth Green directed it. And uh, we start off with just action. Right into the action because we start off with a scream. Yeah. One thing I want to say before that is it's actually interesting. David Greenwald, uh, is like the, he's the co-executive producer of this series. And he co-created Angel. And this is you know one of his few writing credits throughout both shows. Well, actually, just throughout this show, really. But I thought that was interesting. Also, Bruce Seth Green has no relation to Seth Green. Yeah, that's just a coincidence and an unfortunate one. But, yeah, we start off with the screen right in the action. Buffy is in the bronze, losing very badly to a pretty weak regular vampire. But, of course, Xander comes along and he saves the day. Uh, and it's overly cheesy and just romantic and ridiculous. Yeah, immediately you start getting the 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 idea that this is a fantasy that Xander is having. And he punches the vamp out, uh, and his hand, he kind of scuffed it. And so Bobby says, your hand, but how will you finish my solo and kiss you like you've never been kissed before? <laughs> and uh, he starts to walk up to the stage to do just that. But the vampire gets up, and he nonchalantly stakes a vamp by... Throwing a stake, just turns around, tosses it, and it stakes him. And I'm not counting that as a death because it's. I was, a... <laughs> was going to ask that. Is that because it is a canon vampire kill on screen? No, I'm not counting it. It's a, <laughs> clearly not in the real world. But he climbs on stage and he does a guitar solo, and he's not actually playing guitar. But I don't blame Nick. I don't, you know, I don't expect him to. 
but he does a good job faking it. But it's just the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. He's just playing guitar solo, and then Buffy tells him he, that he's drooling. And uh, both Sarah Michelle Gellar and Nicholas Brennan do a great job in that scene. Seeming so like into it when it's so dumb. Like I just I I noted that they seem really like into that scene though it's so stupid. But yeah, Buffy says you're drooling, and it snaps Xander awake. It was always daydream, and normally dreams in this series have some sort of significance or are like cryptically prophetic. Uh not not so much this one. <laughs> Maybe yeah, it's no. Xander's. This is a no. Yeah, it's kind of Xander centric episode to a to a point, and so yeah, we're just this is our glimpse into who Xander is as a person. <laughs> yeah, and we're in Doctor Gregory's science class from last episode. He's drilling Buffy on homework on ants. <laughs> oh yeah, insects. That's um, that is not foreshadowing. Trust me. And Willow's uh, behind him trying to use charades to convey her answers. And Buffy gets it so wrong. But the thing is, she doesn't. Because she says that ants communicate by touch and B.O. And he corrects her, no, they communicate by touch and scent. But body odor and scent are the same thing. She was not incorrect. You know, ants communicate by touch and each other's body odor. She she got the answer right. (laughs) I wonder why she even... That was her first thought, though. You know, when Willow's smelling Xander over Buffy's shoulder, why is the first thought B.O.? Not smell. You know, when she's <laughs> acting out senses. But yeah. I don't know. So Buffy's held after class. And Dr. Gregory seems supportive but tough on Buffy. And I kind of like that. It's kind of a tough love. I really liked it, actually. He was he's very, he's very professional and professor-like. He's very, like... It's like a college professor. Like, it means nothing to me if you succeed, but I want you to. <laughs> like, you know, you were just a, you're a student. And I like that he just, yeah, the tough love, he says, like, there is no reason you can't succeed in this class, so I expect you to do just that. And, yeah, yeah I I have had teachers like that, and I wish I had more teachers like that. It, you know, he seems, some people say, like, oh, they're mean. But, no, he's very... Nice guy. Just a very professional guy. And one thing that he says that sticks out, he says, let's make him eat that permanent record. And I that's why I decided. Because I didn't... I wrote, I don't know what my opinion is on him, but after that line, I put, I decided I like him. <laughs> because that line, you just... You're like, this guy's on Buffy. Team Buffy. You know, he's on her side. Yeah, he says, don't let anyone's opinion affect you know anything don't let them make you think that you're a bad kid just because everyone says you are you're not you're a smart girl and you can do this and nearly episode every episode at this point has featured the science lab at some point that's true if not every single one i think every single one possibly all of them i I mean um, i can't think of when it may have in episode two science class was mentioned uh i don't know if you ever see the classroom itself i don't think so I know that Willow's going to science class, and Xander doesn't. They must have science class like five periods a day. <laughs> I think it's quite a common class, I guess. But uh, Dr. Gregory's inspecting after that what I believe is a microfilm, but it kind of looks like a viewfinder toy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He just—he's—I don't. I think he's looking at slides. I don't know. But uh, then he's uh, there's a appendage. 
and I don't know if it's a stinger or a claw or a tail. It's a cheesy 90s plastic appendage of a monster of sorts. We will know what it is. And right? it attacks him. And uh, I don't know what it is, but he falls and his glasses break. And we don't know what happened to him at this point, but we cut to a band of the bronze, super fine, actually. Yeah. I noted that he was super fine as well. Who you'll hear uh, more than once this episode. And such a weird singer. Like his voice and his style. Just... He looks like Jesse. Yeah, from the first couple episodes. And it just irked me. I like how Xander like walks in and gives him like a what's up look. And he gives like a who the hell are you look. <laughs> but uh, there's like a monster of the week format in Buffy. And I don't think it, maybe it was started by Buffy. But either way, they also do a band of the week format, really. With, like, these local indie bands. And I think that's pretty cool, too. But Xander's jamming out. There's some jocks talking about scoring and chicks. And Xander tries to act like he's a player. But <laughs> they don't buy it. So when Buffy love, and Willow enter, he acts like they're his girlfriends. <laughs> I love when they ask, how many times have you scored? Just a question. <laughs> his response is, today or the whole week? <laughs> and then, yeah, he... He acts, makes Buffy and Willow act like they're his girlfriends. Willow is so down. She just goes right into it, being the good friend that she is. And being the, uh, having the huge crush on Xander that she does. But, uh, Buffy bails because she sees Angel chilling in the corner, doing nothing. Because he's just always standing wherever it's convenient to stand and just being mysterious. <laughs> and the thing is, I mean, there's no secret that Buffy span off into a show called Angel. And so it's also no secret that we get to know this character pretty well. And so that makes me just question even more why he's being so cryptic, why he's only staying around for a few seconds at a time, why he's being like this. But um, like, What are you gaining from this? Why are you... Do you just like playing the dark, mysterious stranger? But Xander gets upset because he's buff and she never said anything about him being buff. He's a very attractive man. How come that never came up? And uh, Angel immediately gives Buffy his leather jacket because she's cold, because Chivalry is not dead. And she keeps it for the rest of the, the rest of the show. But she notices after he takes off his jacket, he's all cut up. Uh, Buffy jokes that the fork guy is coming. And Angel warns not to let her let him corner her. And then he leaves as mysterious as he came, all broody. When she mentions the fork guy a lot and kind of bugs him about it. Yeah, the cutlery man. And we cut to school, Giles, first line he says, that's all he said, the fork guy, which made me laugh, because that's totally, Angel never said those words, and Angel never called him a fork guy, and, yeah. and he, he, wow. But Buffy joins up with Willow and Xander, uh, Xander tells him that Dr. Gregory's missing, and Xander only didn't, heard some of the story because he was distracted by cheerleader skirts. And Buffy gets really bummed out, because Dr. Gregory was the only teacher that didn't treat her like a felon really yeah and willow points that out as well and i really like and i made note of this willow's pants in this scene as much as we make fun of 90s fashion what? i really like these pants i don't recall paying any attention to them they're like a red plaid red and black plaid they're way better than cordy's olive pants from episode one and have you ever noticed how these characters almost never wear the same outfit twice, ever. Over seven seasons, they have an endless supply of clothes. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's just... They should have just... If it was me and I was the wardrobe person, I would have a set wardrobe for each character, like seven, 14 episodes, 14 uh, outfits, and just 
Cycle. Do you them. only have fourteen outfits? I probably have less. If we're talking about me personally, Mister Universe, but <laughs> I, I have drawers full of clothes and just garbage bags, and I have so many clothes. I could probably go for. Well, in the past, I have even gone for months without doing laundry just because I hadn't exhausted my entire wardrobe yet. He's a diva. uh, (laughs) Xander gets distracted by a new uh, lady walking up, who we see as, we can assume already, that she's the new teacher. Uh, And I don't, sorry if this offends anybody, I don't find her attractive at all. See, I personally, I think uh, Musetta Vander, the actress, is a perfectly attractive lady but all the boys like everyone's heads are turning they're just obsessed with her like she is what's the female counterpart of adonis like she aphrodite like like she is the most beautiful thing that has ever walked on this earth and while i think musetta vander is a perfectly attractive lady that is absolutely not the case like she's if uh, i I would not my head wouldn't turn you know i'd be like oh wow new substitute teacher but i think it's for i think the reason that i don't find her so attractive is for comparison's sake just the fact that you know xander's friends with more attractive girls but (laughs) and maybe it's the constantly like yellow eyeliner or eyeshadow and fingernails and (laughs) maybe she's definitely seductive but i don't know about attractive when i first saw her the first thought that went into my head is uh i don't remember her name natasha from like those like old cartoons oh yeah yeah from like rocky and bullwinkle (laughs) yeah i think so yeah that's she reminded me of that but she asks where the science lab is xander panics and immediately can't remember and blame the jock from the bronze from earlier offers to show her and he just breaks so blatantly that it just bugs me about being the all-star football player. He says, like, I'll show you to the science lab. It's right next to the football field where I won all-state championships. Stop. <laughs> that was not necessary. And it just really... She doesn't seem me. impressed either. She doesn't seem to care. And why would she? She's a substitute teacher. But in science class, Buffy finds Dr. Gregory's glasses on the ground. She notes it's odd because if he went on vacation or got sick, why would he leave his glasses on the ground? True. And just before that, I do like Xander's line... Uh, don't you hate it when the earth never opens up and swallows you when you want it to? Yeah. And so the supposedly hot substitute teacher identifies herself as Natalie French. She's got a slight South African accent. It throws me off a little bit, but the actress is South African. I did she, notice that. Yeah. She's got a fair job of hiding it. South African sounds very similar to almost a British accent. And it's just like little words here and there that kind of sound off. Especially when she says French, her own last name. Yeah, um, the, <laughs> the boys seem really entranced by her. Blaine makes some rude comments, and she starts discussing praying mantis. Is is what's the plural? Is it just mantis anyway? <laughs> praying, I don't know actually. Mantises? Mantises? I think it's just mantises, which we should have assumed immediately. Yeah, and she starts picking on Buffy because it's a science teacher thing where you draw Buffy, um, and she seems Buffy makes a joke. That praying mantises are ugly as sin. And and she gets hostile. She gets mad. She seems very upset and in love with praying mantises. And they start talking about mating habits and all the males get really, like, turned on by this. Like, really, like, What I thought is, aside from 
apparently being a sexually appealing lecture um, <laughs> about praying mantises, that she's actually very interesting and engaging for a substitute teacher. Like, for someone that just jumps in and picks up where the old teacher left off, you know, kind of, you know, <laughs> I, in experience, substitute teachers kind of half-ass it because they're just there for the day. But she just, you know, she she was so excited to be there and she was genuinely interested in what she was talking about. And it's like, I would love to have a teacher like that, that like a substitute teacher. That's just so much more interesting than your everyday teacher. And to clarify my earlier comments, it's not, I don't want to call her unattractive. That's not very nice of me. And I don't necessarily mean that, but what I mean is that I don't buy it, that every guy is attracted to her like that. And obviously as we will find out or confirm rather that it's a mystic thing that it's not, you know, a natural thing, but at this point it's just not believable. And, um, maybe that's an explanation. Her personality, she is very charming, but, uh, she asked who wants to make model eggs for the science fair and every male raises their hand, not a single female, but every male. And we, Cut to a disgusting visual. <laughs> yeah, uh, the cafeteria food and the kids' faces in the background are priceless because that cafeteria food is hideous. And just the uh, the idea of just talking about like egg sacks and then cutting to like that like bean slop that's being loaded onto their plates, just like that's gross. And they talk about ham or hot dog surprise to which Willow proclaims she wants her. <laughs> she wants her hot dogs free of surprises. <laughs> uh, and Willow and Buffy tease Xander about Mrs. French, or Miss French, rather, not married, uh, saying she can't find a guy her own age. Xander has a really weird line that I don't know what was going on here. He said, those who can do. Those who can't laugh at those who can do. <laughs> yeah, I don't... And then uh, Blaine comes up and starts bragging, as he's known to do. That he is, uh, he's Miss French's lab partner that day, and Xander is the next day. And I love how they're, they're kind of the way they look at it, because Blaine says, you know, it sounds like natural selection, huh? You know, that he was picked first, and Xander compares it more to a rehearsal. Which, it's a decently quick, like, comeback that he just fires off. Like, which I is rare, proud. <laughs> rare for Xander, because he usually is like, yeah, uh, I'll have something for you tomorrow. And Cordy shows up wearing a kimono. For no reason. Yeah, but... like a black and white. It looked like a robe. Yeah, it was like a kimono. It's kind of nice. But she goes to the cafeteria freezer to receive her medically prescribed lunch that her doctor ships to the school daily. And I'm positive this was just written to kind of have somebody open the freezer. Just to have a reason. But it, it's so dumb and funny. Like, it's just so Cordelia. <laughs> But uh, there's a headless Dr. Gregory in the freezer. Dummy. <laughs> yeah. It's an awful dummy. It is, it's bad. It does not look real. But Cordy screams and we're at human death count one. Officially. Uh, and why do only popular girls find bodies stuffed in places at the school? Is this revenge by Jaws? <laughs> yeah. Um, I also really like... Uh, the next scene at the library, uh, you know, Buffy's clearly upset by this. And Giles offers her a glass of water. And I, I 
rewinded it a few times. My computer was a little quiet as I was trying to listen to it. But it sounds like he says, drink this. And she says, no thank you. And then proceeds to drink the water. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't notice that. But even he's kind of bummed about it. He says he was a good man. And uh, Buffy remembers Angel's warning on old Forky. And Giles remembers a passage about a vampire that's displeased so the master cut off his hand in penance. And they think maybe this is their killer. But uh, Giles finds a newspaper article, or it already has, proving that the fork guy didn't do it. It's not his M.O. He shreds people in parks. I like uh, Xander brings up the point of what happened to the body's head. He's, he says, like, you know, I, don't, I know you guys don't want to hear this, but what happened to the head? And Willow responds with a good point. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Susanna makes a Godzilla reference saying that they're on Monster Island because there's more than one killer, which is a pretty cool throwback. And Giles makes Buffy promise she won't do anything rash. So, of course, jump cut to Buffy doing rashing away as she hops a fence into a park where the homeless guy was killed. And she meets a couple homeless so, guys. Yeah, including an alcoholic who says... Uh, it's not safe to be out here at night, Missy, but I do want to jump back to the library briefly, just to, uh, if I could speak directly to Rupert Giles, I would like to say, sir, that you live in California, and sweater vests are much too warm. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, and jumping back to the homeless guys, I assume they'll be in the title credits next season? Um, I don't think they're in the title credits at all this season, but I know they are very important. <laughs> No, I don't know why they were in this scene. Just to show that there's homeless guys here? There's two of them, and I don't get it. But yeah, Buffy pretty... peeks into a bush. Why? For one, why was she peeking into a bush? Was it suspicious? Uh, either way, she was right, and the fork guy jumps out with his claw hand, like... Half Kruger. Yeah, and the police break up the fight because they're stupid, and he escapes. <laughs> uh, the vampire climbs a fence like Vega... And goes to attack a woman walking home with groceries. And so I was wondering why uh, this woman is grocery shopping so late at night. Yeah. But she turns her head and we see it's Miss French. Uh, Buffy watches from a distance and the vampire hisses and just pathetically hides in a sewer. Just runs away like a coward. Which is supposed to be a big bad vamp that can cut up Angel. And he's got four cans. And he's just... Wow. So something's up with Miss French. We cut to the library where Giles is mad because Buffy went hunting when he assured she wouldn't. She says, yes, I lied. I'm a bad person. Can we move on? And she tells Giles about, Giles about uh, Vega. And Buffy mentions the Miss French thing. And he's... She, well, she mentions Miss French and he gets excited, for one. <laughs> yeah, he gets happy. He's like, oh, yeah, lovely lady. But, uh... Then she explains that she scared him off, and he's like, well, vampires aren't afraid of substitute teachers as a rule. And I love how he delivers that line, because it sounds like like it's something that was specified in his test textbook, and he wouldn't have known otherwise. <laughs> like, well, that's not, that's not a common thing that vampires do. <laughs> to my knowledge. Uh, on her way out of the library, Buffy bumps into Flutie, who makes her avoid saying D-words altogether, death, dismemberment, decapitation... And ushers her straight to counseling because she saw the body. I this, I love Flutie in the scene. I just love Flutie. He's so just constantly flustered and over his head. Yeah, he's just trying to run a high school, 
and he's uh, he's he's an entertaining guy to watch. <laughs> and he says some great lines that I wrote down. One, we all need help with feelings, or we'll bottle them up, and before you know, powerful laxatives are needed. And another line, I'm always here if you need a hug, but not a real hug, because we're strongly against touching in this school. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Ken Lerner does just such a great job as playing the like goofy principal. Yeah, I agree. I really like him. Uh, Buffy overhears Cordelia while she's waiting, talking to the counselor. Uh, Cordelia is upset about the death, but looking on the bright side because it's upset her so much that she lost some weight. Yeah, which is wow. It, wow. That's Cordelia. That's high school Cordelia. Just you kind of you're not surprised by it, but at the same time, it's just kind of like wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Buffy leaves, or maybe she's done counseling. We don't really know. She goes towards science class, and Miss French is helping Xander with his test, which is against the rules. Many a wrong touch as she touches his shoulder, and Buffy looks in the window of the door, and Miss French seems to sense it and turns her head 180 degrees to look at her. That is so stupid. That makes absolutely no sense on top of being really really bad special effects so really bad discuss the reasons why this is ridiculously dumb for one the shots framed in a way that it you feel like she's already she looks up and you feel like she's looking at the door just the way the 180 rule and how it's framed you think she's already facing the door but then she turns her head 180 degrees but i didn't see a door behind her so why did they feel the need to include that also she's trying to pass as a normal human being. You hear a knock at the door. Normal human beings don't turn their head 180 degrees like an owl to see behind them. It's a middle of class. Anybody could look up. That's just bad writing. And the, you know, the bad directing, bad writing, just all around a combination of bad. The special effects were bad. I hate it so much. It made me insanely upset. That was so, like, oh my god. Why... Why did that happen? Um, but later, Buffy makes exorcist references as she's discussing it with Giles and Willow. And Willow notes that Blaine didn't show up for school after his one-on-one. And inquiring minds want to know why, which is a reference to the National Enquirer. It's their slogan. But I think, yeah, exorcist is a good way to put it. Owl, exorcist. That's not what Buffy assumes. And Giles can think, can't think of any demons that can turn their heads like that, but Buffy, being the good model student, remembers science class, yay, and that some insects can, and does her homework on bugs. So I... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Buffy is the vampire slayer. On a daily basis, she deals with witches, with vampires, with demons and monsters. And... So something supernatural happens, and her first thought is, it's an insect. Yeah. Like, what, what is she, th- like, it's like, hmm, Miss French is clearly not a vampire. Is she a demon or a monster? I think she's an insect. Yeah. What, what did you, what are you thinking? What is going through your head? Why would you assume that? I understand you just came from science class. But why would you assume that she's an insect over a demon which you constantly deal with? But Xander joins Miss French making to make egg sacs, but they don't end up making egg sacs. She's having lunch, and she starts to be extra seductive and sultry. Uh, asks him to forgive her, but she's got a teacher's meeting coming up. 
And he says, forgiveness is my middle name. Well, actually, it's Lavelle, and I hope you guard that secret with your life. <laughs> yeah. So we know that his name is now Alexander Lavelle Harris. Uh, she invites him over to her place to work on the project instead, to which he immediately responds by imagining a guitar solo. A 17 <laughs> thumbs up. I laughed so hard at that. <laughs> it just... It, he just kind of like smiles and then it cuts to the solo from the opening. Just diddly diddly. I just <laughs> lost it. That's so dumb. But Xander cheers as he leaves the class. Uh, and meanwhile, Miss French is finishing her lunch, uh, opening up a Tupperware container which is labeled food. And okay, first off, like, what? Okay, I don't want to talk about that. But it's filled with crickets. And she dumps it on bread with mayo to eat. And first off, that container is half filled with cricket. Shit. I used to keep crickets as a pet. Well, not as a pet. For I had a pet gecko, and it eats crickets. And she just poured that cricket excrement all over her sandwich, and the crickets crawl away. But the cricket poop stays firmly in the center of the sandwich. And second, why bread and mayo? You know, if you're just gonna eat crickets, why bother? And third, they got away anyway. Like. What? How can nobody notice? She is so far from subtle. Xander was just there. He didn't even hear crickets chirping. And I'm just so mad at this point. Also, I I want to keep it... I want to keep the podcast more or less clean. So I don't want to go into detail. But she really, really enjoyed that bite of the sandwich. And it disturbed me greatly. (laughs) Like, her eyelids were fluttering and, like, oh, my God. It's so that, food. It's food. This is what you eat, presumably, on a daily basis. It's even labeled food. So, <laughs> why was she so very happy with this food? At the library later, Buffy finds the praying mantis can rotate its head and concludes, Miss French is a praying mantis. I just wrote why about eight times <laughs> and giles and willow know that well she's people-sized but they do point out that her shoulder pads on her on her top make her look like a predator so that's how they deduce that no she's not a demon she's in fact a, a praying mantis <laughs> oh my god and willow learns uh somehow that blaine never came home that night and Willow starts to get worried about Xander. Buffy says, oh, he can handle it. And asks Willow, hack the coroner's office. See if there's these praying mantis teeth marks on Dr. Gregory's body. Giles says, well, I would assume that's entirely legal. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, well, I wasn't here. I couldn't see it. I couldn't have stopped you. Yeah, I love that. Um... <laughs> so Buffy confronts Xander after this, tries to explain, but he's so stricken that he just thinks Buffy's jealous of Miss French. And he gets defensive when he brings up Angel and says what we're all thinking. What kind of girly name is Angel anyway? And then she says, what does it have to do with anything? And then get your drums ready for the rim shot. Says nothing. Just kind of bugs me. Oh. (laughs) And he storms off. Um, Meanwhile, at Miss French's house, she's scad pretty clantily. Scad pretty clantily. (laughs) (laughs) She's got mood lighting and music, 
And Xander comes in and says, that's the most beautiful chest, I mean, dress I've ever seen. Because he's well, a he teenager. He I mean. He just says, that's the most beautiful chest dress I've ever seen. And uh, she offers Xander a martini, and he drinks it without hesitating, which is super <laughs> awkward. And he just makes awkward jokes about shawarma, and it's See, just weird. This uh, interested me, because he mentions, yeah, he mentions shawarma. And I thought, that's a funny little connection to the Avengers. But I couldn't hear the line that well, so I'm going to Google it so I can get, you know, I Googled, you know, Xander, teacher's pet, shawarma to try and pull up the line. And I actually pulled up an article that says that Nicholas Brendan got the role of Xander by nervously improvising a story about shawarma in his audition. And Joss liked it so much that he included a shawarma scene in The Avengers. That's awesome. And then that story was written into this episode. And yeah, so Nicholas Brendan is the fact is the reason that shawarma is in the Avengers. That's crazy. But a Miss French is coming on to him because shawarma and asks him if he's ever been with a woman before. Which is not okay. And he says, well, the same room? <laughs> uh, he lies and says there's been several girls, but he admits, breaks down, admits no. He keeps hearing something and Miss French is unfazed. But to be fair, I don't hear anything either. <laughs> yeah. Um, she mentions that Xander's hands are soft, and he flashes back to his dream of Buffy, where she says, oh, your hands hurt. He's, uh, he starts acting pretty, either drunk or spiked. I couldn't figure it out. He's drugged. But he says, your hands are really serrated. And then there's a really bad transformation <laughs> effects as her hand morphs to the claw tail thing from earlier. Which is, they're mantis claws. Like, we know that at this point. They are the pincers on a praying mantis. They should really stop attempting transformation effects because, at least in the early seasons, it's not good. So Xander wakes up in a cage on some hay in the basement. Uh, that made me laugh, actually. It, like, I, Miss French doesn't seem to understand how the human environment. <laughs> I I was just thinking, like, her... You know... <laughs> like, oh, uh, gotta go change the straw. Like, like it's a pet? Like, <laughs> change their litter? Like... Like, this isn't medieval times, so they don't need rushes for carpet. Or is that, like, his litter box? Like, what is going on? I also noticed that Xander has just pimp rings. Just <laughs> fistfuls of rings. <laughs> uh, but he sees some creature doing something. It's really too dark for me to tell. I don't know if you could see it on your end, but I just honestly couldn't make out what was happening. Yeah, no. He calls for Miss French, and this thing responds. And how did he not see this happening sooner? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But we cut to Giles on a call with his old friend Carlisle. Uh, well, at first he's with someone else. And he's trying to grab information. And he says, take him from his cell and put him on uh, quite angrily. So we, this part, I want to stop you. Sure. Um, he says, I have no idea what time it is, nor do I care. But Giles is not me. I do care. So this is where uh, yeah, <laughs> I've, I've been watching serial lately. So I put my detective skills to good work. Da, 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 <laughs> da, 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 da. So Giles, he personally, he's from London and he's also lived in Bath, Devon and Westbury. And so we can assume that this friend of his is either from London, Bath, West Devon or Westbury or Oxford because he works at the Oxford university. And so, we know that in Sunnydale, California, from the scene earlier where Xander shows up at Miss French's door, that the sun has set. It is dark. On March 24th, 1997, 
in California, the sun set at 6.26 p.m. So we can probably safely assume that she asked him to meet him there by 7. So it's probably 7 p.m. around the time Xander meets her. And then she, you know, she drugs him. Uh, this is clearly a immediate release sedative. And it's a small dose. So I'm going to assume that he was passed out for about an hour. And so in Sunnydale, California, it's probably about 8 p.m. while Giles, Willow, and Buffy are at the library calling this man. And so in the USA, daylight saving time had switched over April 6th, but in the UK in 1997, it didn't for until March 30th, so for another six days, which means there's about seven hours between California and England which means it was roughly just after 3 a.m. Thank, oh. thank you, thank you. The real question is, uh, what was Carlisle doing on January 13th, 1999? <laughs> Very impressive. But Giles is not happy with this call. Uh, take him from his cell, so on, so on. Meanwhile, Willow's pulling up the coroner's report and confirms it is a mantis bite. <laughs> which, lucky guess... <laughs> The coroner. <laughs> we can say with some certainty that this was the bite of a giant praying mantis. <laughs> but Willow's scared that Xander might get his head bitten off because she likes his head. It's where you find his eyes and his hair and his adorable smile. She clearly has feelings for him. Uh, Buffy's sure that Xander's safe, but we power cut Xander being not safe. Uh, Blaine's in the cell next to him begging for his life, and he basically tells her that she lays some eggs, does some weird mating dance, and then she rapes you. Now, I want to yeah. discuss how this is... Not only is it extremely not okay, it's taken so lightly. Like, is it because she's a monster? Or is it because it's a female raping a man? And it is, you know, a podcast that we're not going to go into heavy issues like that. Like, social issues and stuff like that. And I recognize there's a different time period. But how would it be handled differently, or even at all, if it was a male demon raping a female? Like, that's just so dark and so not okay to me. Yeah, and, yeah, I don't know. It's And Xander seems okay with the idea of being raped to death, honestly. He seems kind of debating if he's into this. And after she mates with you, she buys off of your head, just like a praying mantis would do. Uh, we cut to Giles on the phone again, hanging up. He's learned everything he knew from Carlisle, uh, which, you know, we already, this has been confirmed about a hundred times. We already know it's a praying mantis. We've, you know, they've t Buffy knew it. Willow knew it. Carlisle told us it. Xander's seen it. We know. And Giles calls it a she-mantis. Uh, she assumes, assumes the form of a beautiful woman and takes virgins to her nest. Uh, Buffy rebuts with, well, Xander, he's, you know, he's, he's, you know, and Willis says, no, he's going to die. <laughs> uh, now, Buffy mentions it can't be that hard to beat the She-Mantis because Carlisle faced him and he's fine. But Giles says, oh, he's in an asylum, which explains, take him from his cell from earlier, which they really should have explained all this much sooner because I was so confused and I had to keep like revising my notes because I was just so confused as to what was happening. <laughs> Uh, Willow gets on the horn with Xander's mom, but he's not home. And Buffy, immediately, because she's now super smart Buffy, tells Giles to record bad sonar because it makes mantises freeze up. Yeah, I feel like that was just 
thrown in there while doing the research for the episode. <laughs> like, and so she tells him to head to the vid library. There's no books, but it's dark and musty, so he'll feel right at home. And Xander removes a bar between the cages, meanwhile, to uh, use as a weapon. And Blaine is a pretty funny line. Great, now I can escape into your cage. <laughs> uh, now, when we cut back to the library, and I find that these early episodes have pretty good pacing with jumping back and forth with these scenes. It doesn't feel jarring. Yeah. But uh, we cut back to the library. Willow's doing research and finds out Miss French is 90 years old, according to her records. Which I thought was weird, because Natalie doesn't seem like a name from that from that era, but I actually did some research, and Natalie was a pretty common female name in the early 1900s, so I guess I'm wrong. Um, Blaine, back in the basement, is very easy to give up Xander when she's, uh, she's picking. Buffy and company pull up to the house. It's race against the clock. They're about to break the door down, but an old lady answers... And they find out she's named Miss French, and she retired from teaching 20 years ago. And she's Ron Howard's mom. <laughs> Did you know that? I didn't know that. The actress is Ron Howard's mom, and her husband, Rance, later appears in Angel. <laughs> uh, and there's a really funny, cute old lady line. Bobby says, I can't believe this. She stole records to get into school. She could be anywhere. And the old lady responds, no, dear, I'm right here. <laughs> uh, she mantis literally is doing an eeny, meeny, miny, mo, and picks Xander. This is a giant insect, and it decides this way. When it's got too many meals, the eeny, meeny, miny, mo's on which one goes, I'm so mad. <laughs> but Xander scoots towards her slowly. <laughs> Literally scoots. And yeah. he attacks her uh, before trying to escape, but she trips him down the stairs, and he's knocked out cold. He takes a tumble. <laughs> I wonder if that was Xander or if they had a stunt... Like, would they have hired a stunt double for him in the first season since he doesn't have so many stunts? I imagine each primary had a stunt double, yes. But either way, Buffy and company's panicking. They know that she lives nearby because she saw her walking in the neighborhood. Um, Buffy gets an idea and climbs into the sewers without telling anyone her idea. Uh, back at the cave, the Mantis Cave, Xander's tied up and Miss French is starting her wiggling mating ritual... Blaine is cracking jokes in the background. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, how do you like your eggs, bro? <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Don't. Now is not the time. <laughs> uh, and in case we weren't sure that she's a mantis yet, Xander has a flashback to science class where they learned about mantises mating dances. <laughs> Why did they... Like, I know it's a mantis by this point. I'm I very positive. I feel like... Was this episode before Wikipedia... I assume so. So maybe it was like encyclopedia surfing, and the writer was just reading. He's just open to a random page in encyclopedia, found himself engrossed in in mantises, and he's like, "I'm gonna write an episode about this," because it feels like the point of the episode is to educate us on the praying mantis. And you know, David Greenwald, while he has done some great work, really like <laughs> this. So Buffy pulls that fork guy from the sewer, makes him lead him to the house. Uh, how'd she find him so fast? Like, does she know where Claw, he's going to be? By the way, with a, yeah. with a K. But how does she find him? He's in the sewer. You know, it's a big place. <laughs> Unless he just went right down there, just stayed and waited. But he breaks free of his binding, attacks her, but she stakes him, and we're at vamp death one. So I have a problem with this. 
This man has a katar on his hand. Why did you tie him up with rope? <laughs> Why did you not think he would get... Fr- he was loosely tied, too. So even if he didn't cut his way free, he could have just relaxed and pulled his hands out. <laughs> yeah, I thought that, too. Back in the basement, the she-man is trying to kiss Xander, not mate with him. She likes the foreplay. <laughs> but Buffy breaks in and sprays her with buck off. <laughs> Yep. Uh, Willow and Jazz are freeing the hostages while Buffy's joking about playing the sonar because she has to get that, you know, the quip in. Uh, she flicks on the recorder and it's just Giles, Giles talking, and I laugh so hard at this also. <laughs> yeah, it's just him documenting God knows, really. <laughs> so the mantis knocks it out of her hands when she tries to switch the tape sides, and Buffy fights it a bit, and Giles grabs the recorder, flips it, and plays the bat sonar. Which messes up the mantis pretty bad. Starts like, I don't know. It just messes it up. <laughs> Not what I expected when they say it makes its nervous system stop. It just kind of starts wiggling and holding its head. But I guess that's what happens. Because <laughs> David Greenwald did his research, so he must be right. Uh, Buffy beats headache. it to death. Beats it to death with an unseen weapon? Maybe the bar? I don't know what it was. Was she kicking it? Either way, <laughs> that's a. I'm going to count it that as an ma- other. She was hacking it with a machete, actually. Where'd the machete come from? I'm not sure. But I'm going to count that as other, because our four categories, which we've never stated on air, but here we go. Human, vampire, demon, other. I'm going to count this as an other, because it's not a demon. It's a giant bug. And they've explicitly stated that. And everywhere I look, no reference to being a demon. It's a giant mantis. And, like... Why is this never mentioned again? Like, there's no mention of how it got that big. Was it radiation? Why can it shapeshift? Like, especially with the fact that like this thing either doesn't mate often or has absolutely no success in mating, because Xander hacks up the eggs, but it kidnapped two boys, attempted to mate with them. Each boy would fertilize a series of eggs. Meaning there should be hundreds of these. Especially if she's constantly doing this over hundreds of years. Like, does do, does she either not mate often, or does it just somehow never work out? <laughs> and also, Blaine mentions he's seen her do this to someone else. So that means there's at least one other victim that has been successful. So, yeah, I don't know why the world isn't overrun with giant praying mantis at this point. <laughs> and is there other giant bugs? Like, is there giant cockroach people that can shapeshift into dogs or something? Like, what's going on? But I count that as an other, because it's not a demon. Uh, Xander thanks his buds, apologizes for being dumb. Willow mentions, like, it's so, like, weird that she only goes to virgins, and Blaine and Xander both get defensive. <laughs> and Blaine threatens a lawsuit, which... I feel that's poetic justice of the bragging jock ending up to being a virgin, but it also feels like it's once again revenge from Jaws. <laughs> yeah. But Willow thinks it's sweet, and Xander raises the machete, and she says, but certainly something I'll never mention again. And that's when he starts hacking up the eggs to Superfine. <laughs> <laughs> and we cut to the bronze, where Superfine's playing again, because small town, they multiple bookings. Angel approaches Buffy and congratulates her on staking the old forks. And he's mysterious as ever, but lets her keep the jacket. And he's so happy, though. He's like a, he's happy and mysterious. And he says, I'll be around, like a mysterious guy would. 
and we cut to school when the whole point of that scene is really to show like I guess sexual tension and also that she keeps the jacket and Buffy more or less admits in the scene to herself at least that she's attracted to him when he walks away and she says something to the effect of oh no <laughs> but we cut to the school the new science teacher appears to be quite normal quite boring after class Buffy picks up Dr. Gravy's glasses which are Dr. still there Sorry, did you say Dr. Gravy? By accident, yes. <laughs> but they're still there. Like, his glasses are still on the counter. And she puts them in his coat pocket, which is still there. you think they'd clean out every once in a while. You know, so many people die, they don't just keep their belongings there in case they come back. Uh, we cut to the very bottom of the science closet, where some eggs that were laid there start to hatch. <laughs> yeah, that's so very... Like old creature feature, like oh the 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 villains not dead, you know, in some form they're yeah. gonna return. But the thing is, that doesn't work on a series with a running continuity. <laughs> because yeah. if you're going, they they didn't return. Spoilers. These things are never ever addressed ever again. And also, that sack was hatching which means it was fertilized. Was it fertilized by Dr. Gregory? Because it appears like she just murdered him straight up without ever using him for sex. I, it well, must have been, because she bit off his head. Yeah, I guess. So he. these are Natalie French and Dr. Gregory's babies hatching. Is he fertile enough? He's quite old. <laughs> True. So I don't know. And it's just never addressed again. But Joss's reaction to this, when they, they brought it up to him, and he pretty much said, I'm not God. <laughs> like, he, he said, stop pointing out my mistakes, was his response. Um, I feel Even though episode, it's David Greenwald's mistake. Yeah. I feel this episode's a metaphor for losing your virginity too soon, for falling for the teacher, and for, you know, I feel like it's really pushing pay attention in class above all else. <laughs> yeah, and it was this kind of an overall mess. I don't know what it was trying to go for. But it's... Yeah, it's the first and last instance of those giant bugs, and that just bugs me, because there's no explanation. <laughs> no, I didn't mean that. It really insects me, because there's no explanation how she got that big, or, or that shapeshifty, and is there more of them? Like, we don't know anything about this, because it's never addressed again, and everything else is explained away as, oh, it's just a demon. But why is this one not a demon? It's like David Greenwald watched Witch and thought, we can do anything, and then... <laughs> he got really excited, really overzealous, and wrote this episode about a giant bug. And it's like, no, David, you missed the point. <laughs> so, it's time. It's the moment of truth. Clairvoyant, what do you give this episode out of five sticks? This episode sucked. It was... This episode was stupid. Um, I did not enjoy it. It has so many mind-numbingly ridiculous moments and it easily stands out among a very few other episodes as just a disaster and i would give it a 1.5 out of 5 i mr universe would have to agree with that rating 1.5 almost one but i feel like that's going to be reserved for the worst of the worst and this one cuts it close it scrapes its way out because there's a couple funny moments like the guitar solo and Giles's tape recorder. And that's the only thing that pulls it up a 0.5 for me. But yes, this episode is a definite 1.5. Weedenverse podcast rating, 1.5 out of 5 stakes. 
Join us next episode where we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 5, Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, and Episode 6, The Pack, with special guest host One Sick Puppy from the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast. Wait until next week? In the meantime, check out Half Hour Wasted, a podcast about geeky pop culture on hhwlod.com. All programs, productions, characters, music, and stories discussed in this nonprofit podcast belong to Joss Whedon and or their respective networks. All music, clips, and discussion used is either original, royalty-free, or released under Creative Commons designation CCBYNCSA. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Thanks for listening.